Unlike Todd, I had never been to Israel before, so I didn't know quite what to expect. I had some preconceived notions. Um, I was raised, despite my name, I'm actually not Jewish. Um, I was raised in a household with a non-observant Jewish father and a non-observant Methodist mother, um, so neither one of which ever went to church, um, and so we had no religion in the home. Um, so I, I never really felt that connection or closeness um, to Judaism, and so I, I just didn't know what to expect when we got there. Um, when we, we arrived, we flew into Tel Aviv and immediately drove uh, at night into Jerusalem. And um, it, was, it was interesting. Um, it was, for me, I was surprised that it was less religious than I thought it would be or that I expected it to be. Um, and it, the following day, we went, um, went to the Hartman Institute in Israel. And uh, the, one of the, the teachers there um, gave us a quote about Israelis in general. And he said, Israelis are in an existential rush, living on borrowed time, but with a deep passion for life. Um, and I found that to be very consistent throughout our trip and, and with everyone we met. Um, so that was, that was great. And I thought that was a very, very endearing um, quote. Um, so part of the, the trip was basically we went through and we, we met with a, a series of different um, organizations, individuals, people on the street even, um, a lot of community organizers, um, which both of us have somewhat of a background in. And one of the first trips that we got, um, or, the, or the meetings that we had, was with a group called um, IRAC, the Israeli Religious Action Center. And I'd say for me that was, again, surprising to learn of a, of a few things that I did not know about Israel, particularly some of the laws, um, family law in particular. Um, it was surprising to me to learn that women cannot testify in court, um, get, seek a divorce without the permission of their husbands, remarry without losing custody of their kids. And so that was kind of hard for me um, um, to, to grasp and to appreciate, I suppose. Um, but it's, it was comforting to know that there were so many people working on that issue um, to change that and, and seeking reform. And so that was, that was great. Uh, um, Iraq is probably closely um, similar to the ACLU probably, so for, for Israel. Um, then, um, <clears throat> actually that's, that's it. So uh, it was very interesting to hear the perspective of Iraq and the, and the work that they do and the, the number of uh, suits that they uh, file in the country. They, I don't remember what she said the number was, or the number of suits that they have annually that are at the Supreme Court. Oh, it was one of, one of the highest numbers of lawsuits that they actually file um, and, and represent at the Supreme Court. And so that was fascinating to, to learn that they have a very similar organization operating in Israel as we do here in the United States. Um, the next place that we went to after that was the LGBT Center uh, in Jerusalem, which only opened a few years ago and has struggled, but uh, over the course of the last three years, they've been able to obtain government funding. And that is something that is true also, we'll talk about when we uh, talk about Tel Aviv, but that they have actually been able to secure the funding by going to the Supreme Court and saying, you fund all of these other community centers, why are you discriminating against the LGBT community? Don't, do they not deserve a community center themselves? So they were able to secure a community center uh, in Jerusalem. It has grown, uh, I believe that they have about 300 uh, clients that they uh, work with every year. Um, and it has become 
uh, a library, it's got health services, there's a clinic on site, and so it really, for the LGBT community in Jerusalem, has been um, a huge help and service to them, whereas before uh, Jerusalem, even when I was there in 2005, you would never have seen anything like this. And so Jerusalem has advanced in a lot of ways, um, increasing its acceptance and certainly embracing the LGBT community there, not completely or totally, but they have made great strides um, over the last 10 years. And then uh, we uh, um, were able to go and visit Yad Vashem. And everybody who has been to Israel knows the power of Yad Vashem. And the uniqueness of the trip that we were on, because it was sponsored by an LGBT community, uh, or LGBT uh, uh, organization, we were able to have a docent that was there that knew all of the LGBT history that was part of Yad Vashem, which when I did the tour in 2005, had no idea any of it was there. So to be able to, to tour Yad Vashem through the eyes of an LGBT person uh, was quite remarkable and very moving. Um, she specialized in knowing all of the, the singular stories of the individuals of the Holocaust uh, who were Jewish and also LGBT. And so she was able to share with us their stories and show us those panels so that we could see um, what they had gone through in their lives in trying to, you know, one, uh, hold on to their Jewish identity, but at the same time embrace in some ways their LGBT identity and in other ways realizing that the two came together for them and was a, a place of strength for them uh, as they endured uh, the horribleness of, of the Holocaust. And take over. Sure. Um, so next day uh, we journeyed into the West Bank and that was again surprising. Uh, we got to the checkpoint, and of course, all of our, our tour guides and everybody had to get off the bus and turn us over um, to Palestinian guides, and off we went. Um, and so we, we got into the, to, uh, where did we go first? In Bethlehem, right? Yeah, so in Bethlehem, um, we went to an organization called Wings of Hope, and they're, for the most part, a counseling therapy organization. They work mostly with women and children, a few men, um, but mostly women and children. So they deal with some pretty, pretty heavy, heavy stuff. Um, a lot of domestic violence, um, a lot of PTSD in families, um, a lot of kids. Occasionally, they they come across a child that's LGBT, um, and they basically say the best thing for the child is to get them into Israel. Um, while the laws in in both um, under the Palestinian Authority and in Israel regarding LGBT people are actually the same. Um, the treatment is, is drastically different. Um, so, so basically that is, that is the solution if you are in the West Bank and you're LGBT, is to try and get you into Israel somehow. Um, and and that's, that was kind of sad um, to I, learn that. I think one of the interesting points um, with Wings of Hope is we had asked them, you know, what, what's the culture like for someone who may be experiencing PTSD or that's LGBT um, and how is mental um, health viewed in, in, in the Palestinian territory. And they said, well, if you noticed when you came into the building, there were no markings. And none of us had noticed that. We noticed it on the way out. We made sure to take a look. But the, the way that they had situated themselves was in a three-story building. On the bottom floor, there was a barber shop and a shoe store. So if you went in the front door, no one knew if you were going to buy shoes, get your hair cut, or get some uh, mental health help. 
And so that way they were able to obscure what people were doing so that people didn't have to feel the burden of not only having to deal with mental health issues and treatment, but then having to deal with um, being uh, targeted if they were seen going into a, a mental health uh, facility and having people um, harass them because of that. Did you want me to talk about Ramallah? Yeah, you can Okay. So after that, we went to Ramallah um, and we met there an organization called Zimam, uh, which means the reins of the horse. They have 51 chapters throughout Palestine and 1,100 youth activists that uh, are working for peace and future pluralistic democracy for Palestinians. Um, their campaign for textbooks and portrayals of Jews, incitement of violence, um, all of those things they are trying to address, they are working to be able to work with Israeli youth and be able to share experiences so that they can um, learn more about each other, that they can get away from the violence and get away from some of the things that, that they're taught um, in, in the Palestinian territory. Yeah, they had, with, with the textbook campaign that they did, it was, literally, it was just the kids that, that did this work and spoke to their schools and their teachers and their parents and got them to change the way they uh, portrayed Jews in the Palestinian textbooks. It's, it's not pretty. I'm sure you've, you've seen, seen how that can be done. Um, so they were successful in, in getting rid of all those, the negative images and, and stereotypes. Um, and, and made that change. These, just these 1,100 kids, I should say just these 1,100 kids, it's a pretty, pretty small army. Um, but yeah, so it, it, that was really encouraging um, to know that, that that's happening and that those kids are gonna grow up and at least 1,100 of them um, won't have so much hatred or fear um, of Israelis. And so that was, that was heartening. Uh, the other thing that uh, we did was we visited the wall um, and took a look at that. Actually, to see the physical height of the wall was remarkable. I mean, none of us had even envisioned or had any idea what that would look like. Um, and so to see that and see how it was heavily patrolled um, was very eye-opening for us. And uh, Michael can tell a story as we were leaving town, yes. uh, what we saw. So for the entire day, we had police escorts um, from the Palestinian Authority and they had pictures in the back windows of their cars. So we're leaving this organization, we're, we're upbeat, um, and decided to ask what the pictures were about. This picture of just a, a single man, and it looked like, like a wedding picture, couldn't quite tell. Um, come to find out, this, this man was being celebrated um, for being a martyr. And he had gone, into, uh, gone to a checkpoint. He was a police officer, so he was allowed to, to cross over. Um, got out of his car and shot three people. Um, then he was killed. Then, and so they're, they're celebrating this. And so we're, these are the people we're driving around with. So that sort of brought us back to reality um, to, to learn that. So that was, I hate to be a downer. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that happened. And, and um, so that was the end of that day. Yeah. And so then on the last day that we were in Jerusalem, we went to the Knesset. Um, there we met with an openly gay member of the Knesset, who's also a member of the, the Likud party, Amir Ohana. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of him. Um, he, is a, he is conservative, he is LGBT. It was interesting because we actually had three members of the Knesset that came and met with us at that time. And when we met with um, the opposition leader, uh, Mikhail Rosen, she um, came in and was talking to us and we asked her about Amir and his, 
you know, what's it like having an openly conservative LGBT member in the Knesset? And she said, did he talk about any LGBT issues? And we said, no. And she said, that's not his priority. His priority is guns. And so she like starts going off and telling, like apparently that, you know, he's the wrong kind of LGBT person. And so it was interesting to see the perspective that sometimes politics, it doesn't matter where you are in the parties, there's always going to be fighting, you know, between the left and the right or whatever different views there are. Um, and then they had uh, Sharon Haskell, who was this very young woman who uh, had just finished school here in the States, but had come back and run and uh, was also a member of the Likud party. And uh, she was basically their leading environmental uh, individual within the Likud party. And so she was able to communicate their environmental policy issues to the young people um, throughout Israel. So she's very well known over there because of her environmental views and perspectives. Uh, which she is not shy about sharing. And so we found that refreshing that uh, in Israel, the environment isn't up for debate. It doesn't matter what party you're from. There are certain things based on science that are accepted regardless of what party you identify with. And so we all found that very refreshing. Moving on, so then we drove to Nazareth. And um, much like the music that we heard tonight, um, the first place that we visited in Nazareth was Polyphony. And it's a program where they bring Arab youth and Jewish youth together to make music together. So they teach them through classical music um, how to play the instruments, how to work together, and what it means to be able to, to make music um, together. And so we were able to listen to a number of uh, different uh, musicians um, as they were playing the piano, and playing the guitar, and playing the cello, playing the violin, uh, the viola. And it's amazing how much classical music is just universal, regardless of what language you speak, or what religion or culture you identify with, but to watch them play together and see that the differences that, ha that so many of us have come to, to rely on or to, you know, as, as a perception that these barriers can be broken down by creating music together. And then after that, we visited the Ethiopian Absorption Center which um, again stood in, in stark contrast to the way we um, invite or welcome uh, immigrants sometimes into this country even. Um, so we got to sit with a family, have a snack with them, talk to them about their experiences, and just sort of try and comprehend what that must be like for them coming. Many of them, um, they journeyed, they had to walk because they couldn't take any, they couldn't take any transportation. So they walked across, um, basically from, um, from Ethiopia all the way to the border of Israel. So we met with a guy who had nine or 11 people in his family when he started, and two of them made it. Um, but they were there, and they were welcomed, and they were learning the language. They're given an apartment. Um, everything is taken care of. They get a cell phone. Um, so it's, it's a good deal. <laughs> um, but it, it was, it was interesting to see that, because that's something that we don't do here. And it was really, really heartwarming to see. And after Nazareth, we then uh, traveled on to Haifa, um, where we got to see the beautiful Baha'i Gardens. Uh, for those of you that have been to Israel, you know how uh, beautiful that facility is. And then we met with some uh, members of the LGBT community in Haifa and talked to them about their experience in Haifa. Obviously, we're not in Tel Aviv at this point. We're not in Jerusalem. Haifa is smaller um, with a very large uh, seaport. And so there's quite a, a mix of individuals that are there. And I believe that probably 
right now about this time, because we were there in November, but they expected that in a few months they would be opening the LGBT center officially and having a, a ribbon cutting. So that, again, is another LGBT center that will be um, supported through uh, government monies going to support that community there. And so they were sharing with us their excitement in being able to open the first of the fa facility like that uh, in Haifa. And then uh, we were only there for a couple of hours, and we traveled on to Tel Aviv. And you can... Sure. Um, so in Tel Aviv, that was uh, um, a little bit more like home, I guess, for me. Um, <laughs> we um, went to um, another one of the, these government programs. So the, the funding that they do for social programs and community centers is, is very interesting. Um, all, as Todd said, all of the LGBT centers are funded by government money. Um, so are the homeless shelters, um, the, the youth, the youth drop-in centers. All that's funded with government money, and so there's not this need to go, you know, scraping by um, for for like nonprofits do here. And um, we went to a youth uh, crisis center, and they house about 15 or so um, under 18 uh, people at a time, and they're. I think they're all LGBT in this in this um, place that we went to, and so we got to meet with them briefly, um, learn about some of their stories, um, which is again pretty pretty sad. Um, but some of them have have nice happy endings, or at least they will as as they um, as they get the support that they need, and they're able to get out of crisis and get back into the community. Most of them were homeless. Is it was the situation that they had found themselves in. And so this was a one-of-a-kind facility um, in Tel Aviv, and to be able to see the needs that they're addressing and the population that they are serving, and to sit and talk to those kids and, and hear their heartbreak and their stories, because so many of them, like here in the States, end up homeless because their families reject them, and they have nowhere to go. And so some of them, luckily, will end up at this facility, but they need to be able to serve more than they are serving there now. Um, very similarly, in the, the United States, 40% uh, roughly of any homeless youth population in anywhere in the country is going to be LGBT, and that's true in Israel as well. Um, and so to see this facility trying to address those needs was very heartwarming for us. Um, after uh, that, we were able to go to the Yitzhak Rabin Center to tour that, to have the guide. Um, and then uh, wrap up that tour with a meeting with Ambassador Daniel Shapiro, uh, the ambassador from the United States, and to sit and talk to him. And because of the time period that we were there, which was right after the election, he didn't know what to say and didn't have a whole lot to say. I mean, other than about his experience in Israel, how much he loves Israel, what a, an honor for his life it was to, to serve as the ambassador, but not knowing what the future held for him or his family. Um, it's my understanding that he is still there because they're waiting for the kids to finish school. But uh, he, what typically would happen was that in the past the ambassador would stay into the next president's term and then they would rotate out when they were ready to, to, to rotate out. But uh, if you followed on uh, the inauguration day, all of the ambassadors around the world had to, to leave their, their facilities. Uh, and so he is, he is still in Tel Aviv with his family but uh, we'll be coming back to the United States. And um, so to, to tour the Yitzhak Rabin Center um, was, was really a highlight to learn about everything that this man has done. Um, 
I mean, I, I grew up in politics uh, because of, with the relationship that he had with the Clintons back in the 90s. And so to, to be able to go back and review and, and see all of the things that had happened and the timeline that exists um, about his life was very moving and to see that um, the peace that he had tried so desperately to achieve but was yet uh, still eluding uh, for him. And then uh, on the final night, do you want to um, talk yeah, about the final night? The final night we were there was Shabbat. So they decided to bring us to an Orthodox Shabbat service for LGBT, um, for LGBT people. And um, so we, we went to that and met some very interesting folks, a lot of families there, um, a lot of people that they grew up in, most of them from rural towns in Israel, I guess most towns are rural, um, but far away from Tel Aviv or Jerusalem in smaller towns with their families and, and left um, because of generally their sexual orientation and found each other in Tel Aviv and started their own uh, synagogue. And um, that's where we went and got to have dinner with about 40, 40 or so people and learn, learn about their stories and all the amazing work that they're doing. They're heads of organizations, um, heads of women's groups, um, heads of LGBT organizations, working out in the community, doing nonprofit work. So it was, they were a remarkable group of people. And one of them is actually running for the Knesset. She ran once, and I think she came three, three seats short yeah. of getting elected. So she'll be running again, um, which obviously she's very controversial. Um, but she came very close to winning in the last election, and she wants to run again. So we told her, give us a call. We'll see if we can help. She was very, uh, very passionate about her mission in creating that, that synagogue um, and also serving in uh, public office. So we wish her well, and, and it was fascinating to be able to share Shabbat with them in that environment and be able to, to share stories in politics and talk about the issues that we face uh, here in the United States and the things that we were going to be coming home to and the situations that they had faced in Israel and be able to share those stories with each other and how we cope with the different issues that we face as LGBT communities regardless of where you are in the world and uh, what we can do to work together to make a, a more welcoming and inviting uh, government and country uh, for not only LGBT citizens but for everyone. So we thank you for the opportunity to share the story. And if anybody has any questions afterwards, we'll be happy to uh, answer and, and explain what we can. Thanks. Thank you both. I want to thank you both for that uh, fresh perspective on Israel. Uh, you know, it's always interesting to go to Israel with different uh, eyes to see the country in different ways. Um, as you all know, a couple years ago, the last trip that I took was uh, with uh, 20 or so evangelical pastors. Uh, and so as many times as I've been to Israel and thought I saw everything, uh, I got to see a very different perspective. So it's very, also very interesting to hear now your perspective uh, in, in going to Israel. Uh, we're going to continue now with the uh, service. Oh, and, and yes, Mike and, uh, and Todd will happily, uh, hopefully stay uh, during our own egg, if you have any questions, uh, they'll be happy to, to, to continue talking, I'm sure. Uh, but I want to invite the kids back up. We're going to continue now with the service uh, on page 30 with the...